Well, good morning. Ah, you guys are alive and awake and caffeinated, I hope. Ay, ay, ay. You got to start the day out early with the caffeine to uh, get things going by this, uh, by this hour. But uh, it is great to have you here. Uh, you made it through the haze and the smoke and uh, the folks uh, enduring the, the fires that are out there and the, um, that are fire, fighting them, um, running from them. Uh, we, do, uh, we do offer our prayers um, on their behalf. And uh, you just can't get away from it. Um, it's just one of those things that we live in a world that uh, there's lostness, there's, um, there's grief, there's sorrow, uh, there's destruction, but then there's also hope, and we continue to move on and grow from that. And so um, these are interesting times. And this has been an interesting season for South Suburban, and uh, we are in um, the middle of our, or actually really towards the tail end of our Essentials series. We've come a long way as we've been taking a look at each and every one of our, our main essentials, our, our only essentials, our essentials at South Suburban. And um, it's these essentials, we put them in the bulletin. And um, for this service, where we normally would print um, kind of the order of service so you kind of know the sequence of what's going on, we said, you know what is even more important than that is to have the essentials. Probably more important than a, the scripture um, of the day or a good cheesecake recipe, um, putting the essentials um, in front of us as a congregation is most important because it's what unites us. There's plenty of things that can divide us. We can have all sorts of opinions about whether the Broncos are better than the Patriots. We can have all sorts of opinions. Um, actually, there's probably one or two people in this audience that has the opinion like that's actually a toss-up. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, so, ay, ay, ay. We can have all sorts of other opinions, um, for sure. But you see, it's these essentials that do unite us as a church body, as a church family. They unite us and it bring us together so we can accomplish all that God has called us to do, not only here in the city of Littleton, but beyond. You see, the essentials, they bring us together, and we are better together. We are, after all, the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in this series that we've been, uh, we've been viewing each essential under a microscope, if you will. We've kind of taken um, all these essentials and week by week, we've kind of been slicing and dicing and looking at them through kind of a soda straw, if you will. And the reality is that that gives us a pretty limited perspective on things. And so what I want us to do is actually to take a moment and to kind of step back and expand our gaze. Because these essentials don't operate independent of one another. They're all linked together. You can't take one without the other. You can't say, oh, man, I, I, I like this Jesus thing, but I don't like this sin thing. It's not how it works. You see, we don't have that option. Because if we had that option, these wouldn't be essentials. They'd be optionals. They're essential. That's what brings us together. They are linked together. And we've got to understand that there is a bigger picture in play. God has a larger story, a meta-narrative, if you want to get all hoity-toity, all right, of what God has been up to from the beginning of time and probably arguably even before. When God said, let there be light, he started creation, and he eventually created man. And man wasn't good enough, and so he created a solution. Woman. <laughs> yes, Lord, thank you. My wife is on her way. All right. See if I can not get into trouble in this service. But he created you and I, humanity, to have relationship with him. He didn't create zebras to have a relationship with him. He didn't create baboons to have a relationship with him. He didn't create the rocks to have a relationship with him. He breathed into you and I to give us life so that we could live, so we could breathe and have our being with the creator. Amen, I'll take that. <laughs> you see, when we back up a notch, back up a step, and we take a look at all the essentials and the big picture of what God has been doing from the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve in the garden and all that led up to the cross, 
and all that that cross symbolizes and foreshadows into the future, into the second coming of Christ, when he returns for his church. When we look at all those things, we understand God's end game. We get an idea of what God's heart is all about. They reveal our place in the kingdom of God and our choice of a future with him. You see, these essentials are more than just a doctrine. They release us to accomplish what God has empowered the church to do. It gives us guardrails. It gives us parameters. It helps us know the path, the straight and narrow, as Jesus said, of how to accomplish all that God had intended to accomplish. And what God had intended to accomplish is to redeem his creation, to bring his creation back to the creator. And last week, we kind of looked at the inward focus of the church. Pastor Joe did a great job in helping us to understand that um, the church comes together to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, and to move one another from where they are to where they need to be, to move them from a life of darkness in a cave to the light of Jesus in freedom. And this week, we are looking at the second part of the essential regarding the church. The church being the collection of, a, of or assembling of Christ followers. We are looking at the outward focus of the church. We are looking at the impact the church is to make in our world. Beyond these walls that we so often describe as being the church. The English word church has Old English, Greek, and even Celtic roots. It has been around for centuries, referencing places of worship. Various derivatives of that will even look, in the French, it's Cirque, C-I-R-Q-U-E, like Cirque de la Seine. In other forms, it takes on the word of circle. And if you go back to the, through the etymology and, and all that, you'll even see places of worship that are circular. Think Stonehenge. That's where it has its roots and that kind of a meaning. Yet the Greek form of the word, kirikos, was only used in the New Testament twice. The word church was only used in the New Testament twice. Once referring to the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then the Lord's Day in Revelations chapter 1. And it really means, kirikos, really means belonging to or of the Lord. So if you've been a part of the church for a while, your gears are kind of grinding, aren't they? Like, wait a minute, I've read this Bible thing. It's got the word church in there quite a few times. It does. It does. And as languages shift, I'll explain how that happens. You see, in Matthew chapter 16, Christ himself said that he would build my church. And he was talking to Peter. You see, the word that's used there and predominantly throughout Scripture, when you see church in some translations, other translations you'll see it say assembly. And the word in Greek is ekklesia. And a little Googling, a little Bible study tools is what helps you get this way. Um, trust me, I'm no Greek scholar, but I can get into some books just like you. An ecclesia is a compound word, and this is where it gets fun, and this is why I'm spending some time on this, because we've got to get it. To say church and just to say a kind of a circle or gathering kind of thing is missing the point, the full picture of what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. You see, it's a compound word of ek, E-K, meaning out of, and klesis, meaning a calling, a calling out of. Now, before it was used in Christian circles, it was used in secular circles to describe officials who had been appointed or elected for a special purpose. They were called out for a unique role. And it was therefore very fitting for our early church fathers to use ecclesia to describe Christ followers who are to be of the world but not in the world. Or, I mean, sorry, to be in the world but not of the world. Got to get that scripture thing right. 
You see, as a believer, we are to be different, not weird, not dorky. We've probably run past folks that are like that. But we are to live differently. We are to live according to our essentials. We are to conduct our lives in a way that honors the Lord and points people not to us, not to an institution, but to Christ. After all, even Christ himself said that he points people to his Father. You see, as called out people, you've got to kind of scratch your head and say, well, then how do we live? What do we do? Well, in addition to being loving, caring, and strengthening as a community of Christ followers, Christ gave the church some instructions. He gave us some instructions that, as it relates to those who have yet to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Unbelievers, non-Christians. And Matthew 28 summarizes Christ's expectation of the church in his absence. And we can read it together. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Of all of the things Christ could say, his last moments here on earth before returning to heaven, to prepare a place for us, this is what he says. I mean, think about your last words. What would you like them to be? If you could say one thing to the people in your family, to your loved ones, to your coworkers, what would it be? And for Christ, this was it. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You see, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And discipleship is a process, not a product. It is non-linear. And it happens at different paces for different disciples. It is evidenced by spiritual fruit or spiritual growth. You cannot look to the person on your left. You cannot look to the person on your right and determine that you are a better example of Christ. Rather, a disciple looks at Christ, the example he set, and evaluate how well they are reflecting Christ to the world. That's the benchmark. Too often in church world, we get busy comparing ourselves to other people, don't we? It happens in non-church world too, right? You've looked at someone who's got a better job. You've looked at someone who's got a better car. You've looked at someone whose kids seem to somehow behave appropriately at Walmart while yours are screaming and tearing out, you know, things off of shelves. We look at these other things going on, at the grass that seems greener, and we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. And instead, we're supposed to be looking towards Christ. And it is in community that this can happen the best. You see, in community, we thrive. You see, often, others can see what we're reflecting better than we can see ourselves. I mean, have you ever come across someone who is kind of looking at someone else, comparing them to someone else, and their thinking is just way off? Oh, I have. I've been married 21 years. My wife will compare. Of course, I never do, right? Oh, wait. Others can see what we are reflecting better than we can see ourselves. Some of the best moments in my marriage have been when I shut my face, turn open my ears, turn on my ears, and listen to my wife and the truth that comes out of her mouth. You see, we need people loving enough to tell us the truth, who can look at our lives and with love and concern come alongside us and say, hey, we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. 
And that's part of what church is about. You see, there's no perfect people in a church family, are there? We know that. It's full of imperfect people doing their best to serve and glorify God. That's the way he intended it to be. And so if we will come together and if we will help one another, iron sharpening iron, helping those that we are in close relationship with to become better Christ followers, we will indeed be better together. Jesus knew that he was sending imperfect people to accomplish a God-sized task. But nevertheless, Jesus sent us into the world. It wasn't a mistake. It was incredibly intentional. It was calculated. In fact, our interaction with the unchurched is part of the discipleship process. God uses it to grow us and to grow his kingdom. The church is not supposed to operate within a bubble. We're supposed to be salt and light. Now, the neat thing is that Jesus wasn't throwing his sheep to the wolves. In fact, he gave us exactly what, he need, well, what we needed. First of all, he gave us authority when he said, therefore, go. When you look at Matthew chapter 28, it says, Christ said that he had been given all exousia. More Greek. Exousia is power and an authority that goes beyond simple cognitive understanding. It is the same authority the Roman centurion had over his soldiers in Matthew chapter 8. He understood command. He received commands, and as a centurion, he could command his soldiers. He had authority. He didn't just know the playbook, the standard operating procedures. He had authority. It was given to him by higher authority. And it was the same authority that Christ gave to his 12 disciples when he sent them out in pairs to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to proclaim the coming of the Messiah in Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 6. Christ had that authority as well. And it astonished the Pharisees, the Sadducees, kind of the religious people of the day. Because when he read scripture, he spoke as if he had authority, not just a knowledge of the scripture, but he had an understanding and an experience of what that scripture, the word of God meant. You understand that when God speaks, when his words come out, they have power, they have potency. In Genesis, when God spoke, the world just came into existence. He said, bang, and it was there. He didn't take his hands and create a little mud ball. Oh, hey, here's a cute little earth and little Play-Doh giraffes. His words are powerful. And we see that all throughout the Gospels as Jesus spoke and people were healed. People were set free. People were given hope. You see, Jesus had the authority to send us out. And not just send us out without any power. Send us out kind of neutral or impotent, but to go with authority. We have God's backing on our side. And in fact, we have not only his backing, but we have his presence. God goes with us. He knew the task at hand, and he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Though he gave his disciples a command to go, he also simultaneously gave them the command to wait. And in Acts chapter 1, Christ commands his followers to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the gift promised by the Father. Where John baptized with water, Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of Littleton, Colorado. Loose translation. And as Pastor Drew talked about the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago, the Spirit of God is like the breath of God operating in us. It's supposed to be a natural part of our lives. You breathe in, you breathe out. 
the Holy Spirit working through us is, is to be normative for the Christian. It endues us with power for an incredibly big task. In addition to God's authority, we need the Holy Spirit. God-sized vision requires God to accomplish the vision. We cannot reach the world without it. In addition to God giving us the authority, in, in addition to God giving us the power, he also gave us a target. And unfortunately, over the years and even the centuries, this target has been missed at times. But you see, Jesus sent us into the world, not only into our city, the Jerusalems, but into the Judea and Samarias and the most remotest parts of the world. If you were to look up the, word, the Greek for the word all, you would see that it means all. Not some, not part, not what's comfortable, but all. You see, the mission isn't accomplished until all people have heard. We have work to do. The early church thought all meant just the Jews. We see this by their behavior when you look through, look through Acts particularly. They tried to hunker down. They tried to stay put. They tried to ignore the Gentiles because that was uncomfortable. But God used supernatural means. He used even persecution to expand the church, to expand their reach. You see, there's absolutely no way for the believer to be content in reaching only their own kind. That defies the heart of a heavenly father who sent Christ to pay the price for all people. Every generation, every race, every ethnicity deserves the opportunity to hear about a heavenly father that loves them and has paid their debt. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to be eternally separated from him. I love the language from the message paraphrase. It says, God isn't late with his promise. I love that. God's never late. I might be. He's not. He has restrained himself on account of you. Holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. For those of us that have friends, family members that are lost, that we pray for on a regular basis, this should be heartwarming. This should be encouraging because God is so patient. He is waiting, but I'll tell you, he's not waiting for himself to come in on some white horse chariot kind of thing and step into our situation and save people for us. No, we've been given that task. It's up to us to be the hands and feet to Jesus, to represent him to the world. You see, God is loving and patient but we've got work to do. According to the Joshua Project, of the 17,000 plus people groups in our world, 41.6% are considered unreached with little to no representation of Christ. 41.6% of the people groups on this planet, some 964 people groups are documented as unengaged so you have your unreached people group where they have little to no representation of Christianity in their culture. And then 964 people groups unengaged. That means there is nothing being done to share Christ with them. Nothing. We have got work to do. Although there are 7.5 billion people on the planet, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. 
believe he would have died on the cross for just the one. If only one person would have said yes to Jesus. But Jesus paid the price for the sins of each and every one of us. And it is up to us to share the good news with the world. You see, when Christ sent us into the world, it was with purpose. And as a church, we lead people to Jesus. We lead people to Jesus. After all, he alone is the Savior. Christ said the only way to the heavenly Father was through him, not through some other religion, not through intellectual assent, not through good deeds or human accomplishment. Faith in Christ alone. That's the bar Jesus set. To accomplish this, we have to go where people are. It's like the Thai soccer team that Pastor Joe spoke of last week. Could you imagine the rescuers if they stood there at the mouth of the cave, barking instructions, ridiculing the soccer team for their decision, and expecting that to solve the problem? No. Instead, those rescuers got uncomfortable. They risked their lives, and they journeyed. They journeyed into the cave. The rescuers sought out those that were trapped, those that were lost. And once there, the rescuers tended to the team's felt needs as if it, as it is so hard to listen to anyone or anything when a need is screaming in your life. Organizations like Compassion International understand this. Their mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Now, they have amazing food programs, and I know a number here support them. But they don't just feed kids. They disciple kids. They release kids from the most extreme and impoverished situations so that the kids can hear about Christ. They take the gospel where it needs to be. They don't wait for the kids to come to Colorado Springs to their headquarters. They go after them. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. But they go. It costs. But they use every dollar to make an impact. For many in the United States whose physical needs are often already met, there are spiritual and emotional needs that need our attention. Those are those times when we pray and we say, God, what is my role in this? Where can I go? What can I do? There's a pastor in Colorado Springs that he had moved into his, into his neighborhood. And he was kind of just getting the lay of the land, trying to figure out, okay, what are my neighbors like? What do they think of me? All that. One of the people that he came across um, basically said, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Good luck. You'll never be like the family who was living in your home before. Apparently, the previous family was just amazing. Everyone connected, strong strong community, strong relationships, and he felt really welcomed, right? Good luck. Hope we don't say that to the new pastor here. <laughs> Probably not kidding there. But he got to know the neighbors. He got to know the culture of the community. He got to see what was going on, and he noticed that a number of families would gather in for um, dropping their, or getting their kids picked up from the school buses. they gather on one of, the, one of the corners there, and the school bus would come by, but um, of course it gets, sometimes, in Colorado, I used to live in Minnesota, so cold here, come on, really? But you have these little kids, and they're all bundled up and, and huddled up, waiting for the school bus to, to come, and mom and dad are there, and, and this pastor saw an opportunity he saw an opportunity to go, but he also saw an obstacle. You see, the street corner where they were huddled was also 
the street corner belonging to this incredibly welcoming lady. He's like, huh, it'd be really nice to like brew coffee and have coffee out there for the parents while they're waiting with their kids, the school bus. They're huddled up and just to hang out and have fun together. But man, to, to set up a, a, a table and have a carafe there with coffee and the creamers and the foo-foo kind of stuff you pour into it, it's like, this is going to be a challenge. Long story short, he was able to talk to the lady, cast the vision. She got a glimpse of what needed to happen. It would have been easier, it would have been more comfortable for Alan to do nothing. To just say, oh, they've got travel mugs, they'll be fine. They probably would be. But those were his neighbors. He had an opportunity to step into their world, to hang out with them to hear what's going on, to be a blessing, to be an influence, to be a light. He was willing to take the gospel to them. You see, it is after we've met people where they are at that we can then walk with them to where they need to be. To leave a person in the darkness would be like the tie seals again, going into the cave and simply sitting there with a soccer team. Could you picture that? The divers making the trek through the cave, every obstacle there popping up into this open cavern, finding the kids there struggling to live, and then just plopping down and having a seat with them. Be like, hey guys, how's it going? All right, we're together. Ah, this feels good, doesn't it? be ridiculous it'd be ridiculous it's not enough to just simply go there we've seen christians do that and they miss the leading people out part and they instead become a part of the behaviors of the lost they lose their focus they lose their direction they lose where they're supposed to go you see, so many in our world have gotten used to the darkness. They have no vision of the life God has for them. They are content to live in the darkness. For them, that darkness is the only light they know. But we've got a light to share. We've got a light to shine. So it is therefore up to us to shine the light into the darkness and lead people to Jesus. Christian author and speaker John MacArthur said, you are the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. Let us be sure the message we are sharing, the reflection we are presenting is an accurate representation of Jesus Christ. If we truly love a person, we will not leave them where they are, but we will move them towards Jesus. That is true love. In Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, he said, Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. Christ came to bring life and life in abundance. You see, here's where we get to get really practical. We see that Jesus sent us into the world and that we lead people to Jesus but now we're going to look at the how of outreach when it comes to the church. We look at how we love people like Jesus. You see, we must love people with both grace and truth. Jesus masterfully executed this aspect of outreach. He was gracious as he encountered the lost steeped in their sin, but he was not content to leave them there. He loved them. He didn't give them a pass but he did give them a path. I remember a young man, my early years of ministry, he was coming into the church building to visit in my office, and his eyes were darting back and forth. He was kind of wringing his hands, and he just looked really anxious. I'm like, dude, are you okay? 
He's like, I haven't been inside a church in years. Thinking, okay, I thought God might be mad at me and cause the ceiling to cave in. He wasn't joking. This young man wasn't kidding. His idea of God, of a heavenly father, a loving savior, was to drop the walls of the church building onto him. Folks, we live in a culture that has a misunderstanding of the nature of God. He is just, no doubt about that. But he is not vindictive. He is holy, but he is not unreasonable. He is a loving father who, who pursues his children, his creation, you and I. But it is the role of the church to reflect the true nature of God to the world. It is the mission of the church to share the story of what God is doing in the world. We've got a little hands-on activity going on here. You're going to need a pen and paper. You got it? You can pull it out. Maybe there's some room on your notes. But I need you to draw nine boxes. Actually, draw one box. One, one box in the middle. You'll get to nine. But you want it maybe large enough where you can write a name or some initials. So draw a box in the center and put your initials or your name. All right? Don't worry, there's not going to be a test. You don't have to turn this in for more coffee and treats. Now what I want you to do is draw the other eight boxes around it that represent your neighbors. So if you live in kind of the burbs where everything's all nice, neat, cookie cutter, that should be pretty simple. If you live in the mountains, good luck. You'll have to get creative. If you live in a town home, again, creative license, go for it. But start drawing where your neighbors are at. And then let's start filling in the names of our neighbors. On one side of me, I've got a Gary and an Africa. On another, behind me, I've got Steve. They're new to the neighborhood, and I haven't met his wife yet. Got their names? All right. So how'd you do? Were you able to fill in? How many of you guys were able to fill in all eight boxes or so? You're able to rattle off your neighbors. How about 50%? How many are able to do at least 50%? Maybe 25%? I know, I'm asking for math on the fly. That's, I, I hate percentages, right? You see, folks in the United States move about 11.7 times in their lifetime on average. You're bound to experience some change in your neighborhood. It's life. But the point is, in our culture, we tend to live in a cocoon, don't we? You got up, you got into the car, you pressed the garage door opener, you pulled out, pressed the garage door opener again, zipped on up to church. When you're done, what will we do? Air-conditioned car, windows up, right? We don't want the smoky, hazy stuff coming in. Garage door opener, zip into the garage, garage door opener again, bloop. Then we'll go to the backyard, to our patio furniture out there, if we can still breathe. We'll have our lunch underneath an umbrella behind a fence. That's not judgmental, but that's just our nature. That's my house. That's our culture. We tend to live in a cocoon. During the winter months, like, I can go weeks without seeing my neighbors, you know, until the snow falls, and then I don't know if I'm actually seeing my neighbors because they're like all garbed up in snow gear shoveling the driveway. It's like, Emmett, is that really you? Or, oh no, it's your kid. He's grown up. Holy cow. <laughs> we live life behind fences and cubicle walls. 
But people who need Christ pass by without a single word spoken to them. We need to go where people are at. That activity you just did with the nine boxes is actually from the art of neighboring. Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door by Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak. They're pastors here in the Denver area. And they know firsthand the culture and climate in which we live. They saw the need for the church to be the church. For them, they actually started doing things in their front lawn. For them, they started getting really intentional about praying for their neighbors. God's got you there for a reason, to be salt and light in your neighborhood. Yes, even the most annoying of neighbors, of which, fairly, you might be, right? God paid the price for them. When I first moved from Texas to Colorado Springs over six and a half years ago, we moved into a rent house waiting for our home in Texas to sell. And we didn't know our neighbors. We had maybe a couple of interactions with the people there, but not a lot in those first six months. And then that house got sold, and so we had to move into another rent house. And we were in that rent house, and guess what? We had even less interactions with our neighbors. And you have to understand, it's a little bit of a culture shock. I wasn't born in Texas, but that's the longest place I had ever lived in one spot in my life. And so it was pretty shocking for me coming from a state where everybody's business is everybody's business. To come and have no one say hi, being the new person. So you can imagine my surprise when I moved into my current home. You see, we, when we moved in, like we're pulling things out of the U-Haul, all right? And neighbors are coming out of the woodworks. It was weird. I'm like, what was the difference? I mean, did we all of a sudden become nice people? Did we hide our children? Did Jen hide her husband? No. And in fact, it actually had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with a hard lesson that the neighbors had learned. You see, we had purchased a distressed property. And it was a great deal for us, but such things always come with a story, usually a sad one. The previous owner had been killed in an auto accident. The widow couldn't hang on to her house. And in her pain and her grief, she lost even more and suffered alone. You see, it was weeks that this new widow or that anyone in the neighborhood had known this new widow's story. You see, the Christian family across the street who leads a small group each week didn't know. The Bible college president that at the time was my neighbor didn't know. The elder that again across the street didn't know of this woman who was suffering, who was in a cave of darkness. And it was mind-blowing to hear neighbors sharing the story but they determined in their hearts to not let that happen again. So since then, our neighborhood has changed. In just six years, we're one of the people that have been there the longest. So it's up to us to be intentional. It's up to us that when new people walk in to the, move into the neighborhood, that we're one of the first people to walk across the street and say hi. It gets messy, it gets a little crazy. But you see, we don't have to travel the globe to make an impact to reach out. We can go across the street. We can walk across the hallway. You can even go across the hospital waiting room and you can be the church. Too often the church makes outreach more difficult than it needs to be. We wait for programs to be perfected 
and projects to be ready before being the church to those around us. We freeze up thinking that we just need to have everything right in the perfect elevator speech of our Christian faith. But developing those things are fine and dandy. They can be a benefit. But they should not be an obstacle to making an impact. They should not prevent us from listening to the Holy Spirit and letting God direct our steps and our interactions with those around us. You see, instead, we have the opportunity to share our story. See, that's the neat thing about this witness that we have, about God's big story, that meta-narrative we talked about, is that we're a part of God's story. I can remember to this day sitting on my bunk bed with my dad in Germany. I was maybe four or five years old, but I can see it as Clearly as the days when I was reenacting The Empire Strikes Back with long underwear and tidy whities on my head and traipsing around in the white carpets. I remember my dad sitting there praying with me and receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. And trust me, I just spent time in a family reunion. I'm reminded of how imperfect I was since then. But to see how God has worked in my life, throughout my life, working on me, working in me. And each and every one of us has a story. Each and every one of us has a light within if we've asked Christ to be our Lord and Savior. We are no better than those around us. We are just no longer lost. So what's your story? What has, been, what has God been doing in your life? What's left to be written that you are still praying for and trusting God to prevail? Some of us have kids that we're praying for that have not only moved out of the house, but they've moved away from God. Those kids are near and dear to God's heart, and he is pursuing them. And you are praying and trusting God he hasn't forgotten. Some of us have co-workers that need Jesus. Realizing I just said that and I work in the church, but hey, you never know. It is a requirement, but hey. But we have people around us that need to hear God's story. You see, God has a big story, a larger story that includes you and I, as well as all of humanity. It reveals God's end game. It reveals God's heart. It reveals our place in the kingdom of God and our choice of future with him. It's a story of redemption. So we need to put feet to our faith. We can't just hear these words and do nothing. We need to begin doing something. And I get it. If, if you feel like you don't have a heart for the lost... Because let's face it, there are some people that like, that's their thing, it seems like. I mean, they're just like, ever come across those folks that are just like evangelistic, like crazy people? Not like crazy, like, whoa, stop that. You're weird. But like, it just comes natural. I've got friends like that. That is not me. I'm awkward in so many ways. I'm uncomfortable. I can't just walk up to a door and knock on it. Especially if I was just riding a bicycle. People get the wrong idea. That's why we don't wear ties and white shirts. But you see, we can pray. And that's the first place to start. In a few moments, we are going to be receiving communion. We're going to be taking an opportunity to respond to what God has been talking to you. And if you've looked at that sheet of neighbors, start there. If you don't know where they're at with God... Start there. Start praying for them. Pray and ask God to give you a heart for the lost. Let him put some people on your heart, in your mind, that you can continue to pray for. Secondly, do something. Do something. Don't just let another week go by. Get involved in some aspect of outreach today. You don't have to wait for a program. You don't have to wait for a project. If you need a project, we've got one. If you've noticed there in the foyer, we've got the back-to-school backpack project for North Littleton's Promise. 
I would encourage you to start there. If you don't know of anywhere else to begin beyond prayer, start there. You can grab one of the tags in the foyer, all right, for between 50 to 75 bucks, depending on the age range for the kid. You can take a backpack, hit all the sales, bring it back in a week or two, and those will go to the kids that have been a part of North Littleton Promises summer program. They've put the work in. They've earned a reward. And this is the church being the hands of feet and saying, we're going to help you out in a tough situation. Mom and dad, we're going to help you out in a tough situation. Maybe you can't handle the full backpack. Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you don't have the funds. That's fine. But maybe you can give towards it. You can designate backpacks or if you've got the text message giving thing already set up on your phone, you can text the dollar amount and the word backpacks to that phone number, and that'll go to that fund, and we'll make sure it gets to North Littleton Promise, and they'll be able to use it to buy the supplies that they need. In a couple of moments, we will be responding. We'll be, off, we'll be offering communion, commonly known as the Lord's Supper, as a means to reflect on the price Christ paid for our sins and the life we have in Christ. However, if you've never given your life to Christ or perhaps you feel far away today, I want to pray with you. I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. It would be crazy to do a message on how the church is supposed to reach out to the lost and not give you the opportunity to be found. So let's pray together. And if you've already received Christ as your Lord and Savior, awesome. I know many in this room and in this service have. But while I'm praying with those that are saying yes to Jesus for the first time, or the first time in a long time, I want you to be praying too. I want you to be praying for the lost in this church, for the lost that have yet to come to this church, and maybe the lost in your life that need Jesus. And what role you have to play in that. Heavenly Father, we know your heart beats for humanity, for every single one of us. And for those that are here today that are far from you, Lord, this is an opportunity for them to start that journey as a Christ follower. If that's you, you can simply pray something short and sweet. It's not the words. God's looking at your heart. It could be something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I have sinned. I know that I've done wrong and I need you. Come into my life. Be my savior, be my leader, and be my best friend. Help me to serve you and to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.